Hello, and welcome to the Slow Style Home Podcast. If you don't want a cookie-cutter, generic home, and instead you want a beautiful, meaningful home that's layered with personality, then you are going to be so inspired by the conversations we have on this show. We talk about why the environments we create matter and how to set up our rooms to evoke specific feelings and experiences that are right for you wherever you are in your life right now. I'm Zandra, your host and creator of the Slow Style Home Framework that teaches you how to make really thoughtful and informed decisions about your home rather than chasing current trends that may not last or staying stuck with rooms you hate, feeling overwhelmed with too many choices. Right now, when you join our monthly membership, the Slow Style Society, you'll get a personalized deep dive into your vision of what a dream home looks and feels like. And together, we'll come up with a plan on how to achieve that. If that sounds pretty awesome to you, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society for all of the details. I'll tell you a little bit more about it later on. Right now, let's just jump into today's episode. Hello, and welcome to the Style Matters Podcast, brought to you by Little Yellow Couch. I'm Zandra, your host, and I am so glad you're here. This show is for all of us who want to deepen and expand our understanding of what it means to create a home. Homes we can build that aren't perfect, but they are beautiful, soulful, and meaningful. One of the questions I get asked the most is, but how do I even know what my style is? I get that. You're looking for a starting place. Or maybe you're coming up against that question because you're having trouble mixing it all together, especially when you've got a lot of different styles that you've accumulated over the years. If so, I invite you to download our free style guide. In it, you'll see that you don't have to lock yourself into one particular style category to create a cohesive feeling. What you need is a new working definition of how you're going to represent yourself throughout your home. What you need is a mashup of several different elements of design to get you started. I'm constantly tweaking and rethinking this guide to make it more and more useful. So I hope you'll download it and use it, and then let me know, how did it work for you? To grab the free guide, just go to our website, littleyellowcouch.com, and click on the free style finder button right at the top. So several years ago, two passionate philanthropists, Kelly and Scott Mueller, had a vision for expanding and sharing their private art collection with the public through an endowment to the Cleveland Museum of Art. But this wasn't going to just be a donation of several paintings. (laughs) This was something else. This was going to be an immersive experience. The Mueller's found a piece of land with meadows, woodland, pond, and they wanted to build a home for themselves that would celebrate the works of modern and contemporary painters and sculptors whom they loved that would eventually be bequeathed to the museum in its entirety. So they took this grand vision to the firm Peter Penoyer Architects, and Peter, along with the firm's principal partner, Gregory Gilmartin, they knew they had the project of a lifetime in their hands. What has emerged is called Rowdy Meadow, 
a property that is both home and museum, as well as a hundred acres of sculpture park with 30 pieces, huge pieces, by some of the most renowned artists working today. The home itself is a work of art, and I fell completely in love with it. It's designed as an ode to Czech cubist architecture of the early 20th century, which you may know nothing about, as I didn't, but you will learn about today. Every surface, every window, every last detail has been a collaborative process between the owner, the architects, craftsmen, landscape architects, and interior designers to create a home like nothing you've ever seen. Today I'm talking with Peter Penoyer about this project and his new book called Rowdy Meadow, House Land Art. And in our conversation, we delve into all aspects of this huge undertaking, and I know you're going to want to see the photos, so to do that, you can visit the show notes page for this episode on our website, littleyellowcouch.com. Just go to the podcast tab and click on the episode, and then click on attachments, and you'll see photos as well as links for further exploration and to purchase the book. All right, let's visit Rowdy Meadow together. Peter Penoyer. I am thrilled to have you here. I don't often have architects on the show. Usually it's interior designers, but of course your firm does a, does that as well. And 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 this project that when it came to my attention, I was just my jaw sort of dropped to the floor on the scope, the vision, uh, the entire the entire setting, um, and and also the the longevity of the vision and and what. Scott Mueller had in mind and then what you were able to bring to life. So uh, I want to get into all of that. But before we do, I want you first to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your firm and what kinds of projects you typically take on, because I know this is not a typical project. Right. So thank you. I'm excited to speak about Rowdy Meadow. It was such a great project for us and it went on for years and as it, as it should have. <laughs> um, and I, and I miss, I miss my, you know, seeing the client and seeing the builder and being there, but here we are and, and, and it's complete. So we're a, a 46 person um, for design firm in New York. We have architects and we have a few interior designers as well and other related, you know, professionals. Yeah. We do mostly residential work um, really a, a, across the country. Um, and we also do some commercial work. We have a group that does, um, high-rise, mid-rise apartment buildings. We're completing our second Manhattan building on Madison Avenue and 79th Street. It's called the Be- the Benson. Um, it's sort of an Art Deco limestone-clad building. Um, and we are also um, d- going to be starting um, a-, a new building in Moscow near the Kremlin, which will be fun. Ooh, oh, really fun. <laughs> so, yes. And we've even uh, built a, a village in um, in, in China. Oh. Um, and so we we do cast a wide net and we do some exhibit design. Um, and, we, you know, so we, have, we, we practice in a variety of areas. We do have research um, going on uh, almost all the time because we have also published um, together with my friend Ann Walker over 20 years. We've published five books on architectural practices of the first half of the 20th century um, and um, working on a book now with Paul Goldberger and David Netto on Rosario Candela um, and uh, contributing to the new criterion. So a few other things going on, but we're, we're, and we are an office where 
three of us come to work every day with and use pencils. Um, oh, and, I love it. <laughs> which love is it. unusual. So there's drawing going on here. Um, but actual we all, drawing, yes. There's actual drawing, but we also do try to stay on the forward edge of technology. So we have a full um, and full-time 3D visualization associate. And so we can put the uh, visualization headset on the client if they're happy to oh, to do nice. that and yeah. they can they can look around we also have a, a very large format uh, 3d printer uh, which we use um, you know and and sometimes for product design including hardware which you'll see at, at rowdy meadow right oh right okay yeah we're gonna talk about all of those small details as well um, well I, I you mentioned your books and 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 your your research and I I could tell from your introduction to the book that you're, you have a passion for history and understanding um, where things have come from and how that's influencing current things. And it's, 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 it's very much, it seems to be a part of the fabric of your firm. So um, I, I really appreciate that. All right. Rowdy Meadow in Ohio, the request was made by homeowner Scott Mueller and his vision for what he wanted as a whole was was quite grand. And and as someone who loves homes and art and sculpture parks myself, I I am grateful for his coming generosity. That I um I as reading this book, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I cannot wait to visit this when it's when it's available to the public. Tell us what the project was all about. So the project is on 146 acres near Cleveland, Ohio, of absolutely beautiful land that has an incredible diversity of topography and trees and meadows and, and orchards. Um, and it really was the vision of um, Scott Mueller, who um, is devoted to art, architecture, and design, um, and and his wife, Kelly, and who's very involved with the Cleveland Art Museum, which is one of the great encyclopedic museums in the country. Um, and it uh, he's leading it into contemporary art and, and 20th century design. Uh, so there's that side of it, the patron, the client. Um, and then within my office, um, uh, there's a partner named Gregory Gilmartin, uh, who has worked with me uh, for more years than I care to answer. We, <laughs> we, we've worked since graduate school together. Oh, literally. wow. Yes, you so, talk about him a lot in the book. Yeah. So, so, so he is the brilliant designer. He's the soul of my firm. Oh. And, and he sits every day surrounded by um, his multi-thousand book collection. <laughs> And draws with a pencil. So, love it, love I, you know, I I also am a designer and I sketch, but I so a lot of this has to do with Gregory and other people in the office. And if you're really interested in uh, anyone buys the book, please do look at the um, at the credits because there's so many people who are involved. Yes, and you do you do really emphasize that in in your introduction, and uh, it it must have been. I mean, I don't know how it couldn't have been otherwise because of the scale of of it, and and like I said, the vision. So so just briefly tell us what did scott want this property to become so he started with having us understand the land so there were many hours and hours of charging through the forest walking through the meadows understanding the land he had engaged a great 
landscape architecture firm Reed Hildebrand from Boston. They do many museums. Uh, they've, I think, most recently worked uh, on Storm King. Yes. Uh, and they, they have a, a lot of their work um, is around uh, sculpture collections and great landscapes. So they had, all, they had already a general idea of where a house could go. However, okay. we felt that it should go uh, sort of as, as, a, uh, as an object in space rather than as an asymmetrical sort of sprawling um, design with different parts. Um, that it be something that could be seen uh, from 360 degrees all around uh, as an object, which um, required um, placing the cars and all the all that stuff underneath the house using using a ramp which is not visible um, to um, it simply isn't isn't you don't associate it with the house because you you enter kind of a hidden place. So that's very cool. Yes. So, so that meant that you know there is no back there is no back or side to the house, which makes it even more challenging because everyone each of the four elevations has to be perfectly resolved in its way. Um, you know you don't it, it, many large houses you have that sort of wing that has the garages and maybe right. the, the mud room or something. And, and, and that part you're forgiven, or maybe sometimes it's even charming to have asymmetry, but in this case, there is none of that. This is a Rubik's cube of yes. geometric resolution. <laughs> yes. So. And then, and then the idea being, you mentioned that both, uh, Scott and his wife, Kelly, are, are very involved with the museum. I think one of them sits on the board. Right. Yeah. Scott is on the board and right. he's, but he, and he's an avid, He's interested in art, but he's also fundamentally interested in people, artists, designers, architects, craftsmen. So he is, you know, the, he's the collector who probably starts in the artist's studio rather than in the gallery. It, it will be endowed and bequeathed, and I think the sculpture park will be open. I don't know what the specifics of how the house will be accessed, but yes, that was his ambition, is to create something to give to give to Cleveland. Oh, wow. Um, and so I think that made the artists and well, it made us especially passionate about the project, knowing that it wouldn't, that it would someday be something that would be shared. And there are groups that occasionally do tour. Oh, um, so it's such a gift. And, and, and it, it's, as I said, it's grand, it's quite grand, uh, from, from, from the vision to, to what you actually have then, uh, put forth. Okay. So, uh, we're going to touch on the, um, the inspiration for the architecture, which comes from Czech cubism. And you write a very helpful introduction to the book, educating us on what, what that is. You tell us it was a short-lived movement, but it was very impactful, and that it has to be understood in the context of what was happening at the time. That was This was in the early years of the 1900s. What cultural upheavals are you referencing here in particular, and, and how were these these artists or these architects going to differentiate themselves? How were they trying to? What were they what were they going to change as a reflection or as a reaction to the old guard? So I'd, I'd say that the political aspect is best explained if you think of yourself as an architect who, like all young budding architects or aspiring architects from from Prague, would go to Vienna because Vienna is the heart of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Yeah. And you're part of an empire and you're your national identity, your bohemian identity is, is sort of second rung. And you're looking at, at, at great fervent creativity in Vienna itself and the budding shoots of modernism and the absolute uh, sort of unloosening of all the, uh, I don't know, the strictures that, that, that you know, were the, the academic world imposed on pe the way 
people think. And but as an architect, so you're there in Vienna, and then you're coming back to your city, to Prague, and you're thinking about I very very self consciously um, about an architecture that could express something different than what they called the South, which is an odd word, but they thought of the Renaissance and the kind of post and beam stone on stone architecture of the Greco-Roman tradition as being one thing. And they, they wanted to delve into matter, into the sort of inner energy okay. of, of architecture and come up with something that was not about, certainly not about applied surface ornament mm. and certainly not about the architectural orders that is you know the base middle the the shaft and the, and the and the capital of a column but something that was almost organic for the inner forces of the architecture expressing themselves and so you get these yeah. angles and crystals and oblique angles but they saw this as um the architecture itself almost bursting out of its you know confines and 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 and, and becoming more like sculpture there's a plasticity to it self-consciously trying not to be like Western Europe or necessarily follow the same path in the same way. So I, I suppose then that Scott Mueller was, was just really taken with this and he's like, I, I want that. Is, that. is that kind of why you went that direction? Yeah. I mean, it was specifically his direction. The, the house design started as an arts and crafts based project. And then, and then at some point after a pause, um, he traveled there uh, I th he, he traveled to Prague and he said, I now think I need to see Czech Cubism as a, <laughs> as a guiding force here. <laughs> and, I, and I remember I sat down at my desk and put my head between my hands. So I thought, where, where the, what the hell do we do? What? We you know? <laughs> but Gregory, my friend, um, was able to uh, put his mind to it. And I mean, I have to say he, it's almost as though he learned a different language. I mean, wow. I, you know, it's like when I go to Italy, there's some things I can order, but I think he literally learned the language <laughs> <laughs> and he, he got the migraine. I didn't, I get uh, to, uh. Um, so, but, you know, but so that, that was it. And then the idea of all the wonderful threads of design that come together in the house mm. and the furniture um, that is both contemporary and, um, and, and, and new commissions. So we have really iconic pieces of furniture, like the Eileen Gray Bibendum chair, which is, you know, one of the only, I think there's like two in the world that still have the original upholstery. Wow. There is Jean-Michel Frank's dining table for the Bourne family for, in Argentina. There's Eileen Gray's Lee Perzin. So there are many pieces that are really special. But then there's Ingrid Dunat, uh, who is an artist in Paris, who he commissioned to fit out an entire room that we built um, and, and designed many pieces in the house. He, he really, uh, the, the, Scott Mueller really, he is a, he is a real collector. I mean, he is a, he is a, an absolute art lover, appreciator of all of this. And, and he, you know, to be able to create a home that incorporates all these things and really celebrates these artists is it's very spectacular um i i want to walk through the book in order first talking about the exterior that's the first thing that that's talked about in the book what were you thinking about when we were deciding on things like we you kind of started talking about it about the the, the different elevations and how it was going to be sited so so the how the principal focus of the house is the south facing the south-facing facade, which looks over these rolling um, meadows and distant apple orchards, 
Um, and that orientation made sense simply because it's what you see when you enter the site way to the south. The entrance is on the west uh, and is much more opaque and has a kind of fortress-like, uh, yeah. almost like entrance pavilion. The north side has a much more intimate scale. The, uh, the ground is higher there and the, the gallery is actually underneath that. And so it has a very kind of compressed scale that connects to the woods. The east side uh, really reaches out to distant views and lines up with the this pool, um, which projects out from a grotto. So the ground drops down there, and the grotto is what leads you into the gallery. All right, let, let's let's do dig a little bit deeper into some of the elements that that you you knew you were going to incorporate, or you you discovered you wanted to incorporate. Um, you talk about things like verticality, geometric planes. You know, we <clears throat> for for. Those who do not have the book in front of them as they are listening to this, just can you just describe almost in layman's terms, like what, what are we seeing? So what you're seeing is a, a, a white stucco house with stone trim um, with simple geometric form. So the, on this, uh, on the, when, what you see when you first see it is two, uh, two-story gables that are very crisp, triangular gables with bay windows under them. And then you see a soaring hipped roof that pulls all these forms together. And the, the, the main roof, which is a hipped slate roof, is marked at its corner by these very um, sculptural chimney stacks, yes. uh, which, which Gregory said almost look like artillery. They're, they're, yes, right. They're, they're a little aggressive looking. The west side is this entrance pavilion that is very muscular and almost has buttresses. <clears throat> and then the east side has this breakfast room, which projects out with these almost spiky, thin, uh, triangular walls. And and the roof is ca- capped at either end with what are actually lightning rods, but they're these huge foot diameter stars made of metal. They're, they're incredible. I'm so glad they're close-up photos of these in the book. Yeah, the the stars are, are are they look they looked way too large when they were on the ground, but then when they were mounted at the top of the house, I I said, okay, I understand. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You mentioned the pool. Let's talk about it. It's dramatic. So it projects out into the land, resting at its end with massive blocks of of, of granite yeah. that step down towards the meadow. And it, when you look at it from the meadow, uh, you also catch an oblique view of a Solowit construction, which is called um, uh, irregular progression, which is sort of a ziggurat-like thing. Yeah. And so there is kind of a lovely relationship between the pool uh, and the Lewitt piece. Absolutely. Yeah, the pool looks to me kind of like a battleship coming up out of the ground. Yes, it, it it's it's thrusting out towards the towards the land, towards the distant views, and um, you, you do feel if you stand on the very point of it, the last granite block, uh-huh. um, you almost feel like you're about to be part of some you know pagan <laughs> ritual. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. it feels it feels momentous. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. The next the next part of the book is is on the interiors, and and they they just beautifully unfold. And we can't talk about the interior without talking about his art collection, Mr. Mueller and and Mr. and Mrs. Mueller's art collection. Um, can you take us on a little tour? Right. So you you, you enter a room that is is ablaze in Venetian glass mosaics. They're they're called they're called smalty. They go from deep red to 
pale orange with bolts of lightning-like bolts of silver-backed glass, all hand-blown in Venice, um, with with stone niches. I actually found the stone in Carrara, oh, and cool. so all that was carved of a block. And it's this, it's an intense space that you pass through. Yeah, it has this extraordinary light fixture, which Scott decided we kept proposing light fixtures that didn't quite work. So he said, "Let's hold a competition." So oh, I love it. <laughs> Todd Anderson from RISD won. I think I think he got he got ten thousand dollars. Then we had to help him figure out how to build the thing because it's complicated yeah, yeah. so we were investigating where to get the best crystals for a while that was a project um so that that room leads then to a little coat room and a bathroom that has a mosaic panel that um is a really interesting pattern that gregory discovered on wikipedia mm. uh, the algorithm to make that um, yeah. and you pass things like this absolutely amazing Giaponte mirror that was made for the 1928 venice biennale which was actually misidentified it was in a sort of broken down into pieces at Doyle Auction Gallery and Louis Bofferding found it and realized what it was, what Louis paid for it, which was $1,500 and what Scott paid for it, which was not that number, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, right. But then you're, so you're led through this awful lot of rooms. So the house is very simple. It feels very calm inside because you you see all the way through to the breakfast room. You walk through the house and then enter the stair hall, the middle, mm. um, which, <clears throat> which is the only curved element in the house. Everything else is... Um, and the stair itself is just a sinuous stair that brings you up, and the living room is on your right, left. So it's a very easy plan to be in. You don't feel like it's uh, complicated to be in the house and walk through it. It's very clean and, and clear. Yeah. And, there, and there, there's a variety of ceilings. I mean, the, the ceiling of the living room is a ceiling that's fairly simple. It's not faceted. But the ceiling of the library, which is the center of the house, mm. um, is a, is the largest room, and it's, it's oak paneled up to about uh, 12 feet. And and that room actually, I think, set the size of the whole. In fact, I th I think King Kong actually set the size of the house because <laughs> the original idea was we had to fit the King Kong painting on yes. one wall of that room. <laughs> right. And, and and Walton Ford's King Kong is large, so you you needed one panel of wall that could fit King Kong, and then ev everything has to radiate from there. I and actually, see how you had to work around that, right? right. And, and but King Kong didn't end up there. He wouldn't have lasted because it's south facing. So he went into the gallery downstairs. Right. And and there's another special room, which is an orange, parch entirely orange parchment room, designed by Ingrid Dunat, uh, who we met in Paris. The entire room, right? The entire room. The ceiling is hers. All yes. these absolutely exquisite uh, bronze moldings. The shelves. Um, Gregory designed the mantle from a great block of black stone, and and we found this amazing Sornet desk in Paris that is has a triangular end, which just seemed to have have to be there. Absolutely, so. it's so fitting. Yeah. Uh, well, you mentioned the mantle, um, and let's talk about some of the smaller things. I mean, the the larger sweeping. Uh, aspects of the home are gorgeous. And I do love you. You kind of mentioned it earlier about how f like from one room, I don't remember which room, but you can see through windows all the way through another room, all the way into the meadow. I mean, it's yeah. this, yeah, it's so those kinds of aspects are really spectacular, but these smaller details, the, the mantelpieces, the pattern mixing and the tiles and the, the, the drawer pulls, right? The fastener right. drawer pulls that you've talked about with the 3D printing. Um, what are some of your favorite small So, details? I mean, I'm, we're, we're really proud of the hardware because um, it's, it was designed for, um, you know, for the house and low hardware uh, made it in Maine. They do like Hinkley boat 
hardware. They're really great. Oh, and okay. Jim Taylor, who was working with me then, designed it with Gregory. And it's just so we have the lever. We have all the parts that you'd need for the hardware for a house. And they're angular, but they're quite comfortable to hold. And I loved one of the knobs so much that I had to make a big one. <laughs> Which we now use as door stops. So. Oh, I love it. And paperweight. Anything you want to touch to me is like, oh, yeah. I yeah. If if it if an object is dying to be touched, to me that's that's fantastic. Um, did you have any problem procuring or commissioning any anything for the home? I mean, I think the stair rail was really challenging okay. um, for um, the people who had to work on that because the little um, they're like crystals in metal and nickel mm-hmm. posts. Uh, turn out not to be just one, but 17 different shapes as it descends and the curve radius gets tighter. Wow. It's, um, it's, um, so that was really challenging. Uh, but there were great craftsmen involved. The stucco, we use natural stucco. We, I don't like to use 99% of stucco you see is called elastomeric stucco. Mm-hmm. People don't realize it, but it has plastic in the mm. mix. And, and that's why the houses look so. Shiny. Well, they don't. Well, this 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 actually absorbs and it breathes with the moisture. It's more like what you see in Europe. So that was that was getting that mix was that was challenging. I mean, everything is, but we enjoy those challenges when everyone's in it together. And well, like you said, it took years. I mean, years to bring the whole thing to fruition. Um, so moving on to the land, the the last part of the book, you mentioned landscape landscape designer Reed Hildebrand. Um, just keep describing for us. I mean, you, you sort of started describing that what we see in terms of the landscape, but you know, what are your impressions of the grounds and, and how, and how they've then incorporated all the sculpture? We'll be back after a quick break. I assume you're here because you want a one of a kind personality filled home, right? Well, in order to have that, you need to define and develop your signature style. When you do that, you're going to understand how to mix what you already have with new things you find, focusing on who you are and what you love, putting it all together in a cohesive way. So what's stopping you? Well, let me know if this sounds about right. Not enough time, not enough money, and a lack of creativity or design knowledge, which makes you feel overwhelmed and insecure about pulling the trigger and changing things up. This is why I created the Slow Style Society, to help you take action on making your dream home a reality. It's part social club for people who like to just geek out on design and part hands-on learning experience where you get better and better at making decor decisions for each room in your home. And for the next few weeks, I'm offering all new members an additional one-on-one style session with yours truly. So I'll take you through the lessons so you know exactly what to focus on inside the Slow Style Framework in what order, and you'll have a personalized support system from me to get you there. Go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society so we can get started right away. Let's not wait for that imaginary perfect time to create your beautiful, meaningful home. Again, go to slowstylehome.com and click on Join the Society. Okay, back to the episode. What's interesting is that there's so many ravines and uh, the land is so dramatically sculpted, you know, 
Someone said it looks like it could be the setting for a, a Wagnerian opera. It has every feature. Uh. Um, but, but, and what really brought it home, the, just the amazing diversity of places on the land. Um, and, I, and I think that's why the sculptures all work, even though there's so many pieces. Each has a special place because the land is interesting is that way. Okay. Is a- Andy Goldsworthy built one work called Contour 950, which is simply an earth and sandstone path mm. that is like a, t- a narrow footpath um, and it's a mile and a quarter long, and it just it only it follows contour 950 on the topo map. So oh, 950 okay. is where it is, and you see so walk for a mile and a quarter around everything and in and down, and 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 you don't go up or down an inch. Wow. It's, so that that really, <laughs> um, and then there are historic parts like this old apple orchard, yeah, um, that are really special and just seem rooted in what that place always was, which is farms and apples and. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are sort of mysterious places in the woods, little sort of outcroppings of rock. It's, it, it, you know, and you you approach the house um, from the the far end of a series of of, uh, of meadows. So that's wonderful too, as an architect, to be able to set your house mm. in the larger landscape and have it discovered in, mm. from, from the distance. And you mentioned a pavilion. Um, describe that a little bit more for us, because it's quite stunning in the book. So Saint Clair Simon, um, the the sculptor artist who um, carved um, what looks like a canoe out of an eighteen foot long block of white marble, <laughs> right. but it's not really. It's called Psyche. It's a very sensual piece. It sits in a pavilion that he designed. Then we worked with him to perfect the shape of the columns. We used our three D printer um, and the roof and the angles and ratios of everything, and we we placed it in a uh, in projecting out into the, the pond using black stone below the water line so it seems almost to float right that was, yes. that, that was a great joy being able to help um Saint Clair. Wait, there, there's a lot of love I can hear in your voice for this project and I'm sure for the people that you that you worked with and, and became close with over this long period of time yeah so Peter <laughs> We've been talking about, you know, a house of a lifetime, a work of a lifetime, um, and I, I think that it's so it's so fulfilling to to get inspiration for from these kinds of places and all of the thought and and uh, the consideration that goes into all of the decisions about creating this kind of space. Uh, but you know, for the rest of us lowly homeowners uh, that just have our regular homes, you know, I'd like to bring it back to that as well, and and how we can take inspiration from this kind of more grand thinking. Why, why does style matter? Why do our surroundings matter? Our um, our buildings, how they how do they shape us? Give us your own personal thoughts on on this topic. I'm one of those people who is, you know, looking for for meaning in various ways, and what I do, and one of them is, um, you know, any time a design um, that we do here connects with something deeper or something historical or something beautiful, um, that makes me feel like you found some meaning. And if you're extending um, the memory of some something you love and admire even in a even in a half even if you don't get all the way there even if you can do some extension of an idea 
that that has a plausible connection um, that has some resonance that is historical and cultural. I think it's just a, a really it's a really uplifting thing. Now there are people who don't care. I mean, I you know I've built a house for people who are so cerebral they literally like haven't painted the house in 25 years. <laughs> they don't care. But but for me it is that making those you know connections and then possibly extending. I tell people it's a bit bit like you know, having the joy of being able to, you know, play a, a, a box sonata, you know, it must be amazing to take music and then be able to feel that you're extending it or improving it or doing what Glenn Gould did at the piano is something. But but we're not, but how are, having said that, none of us are geniuses. And I think that's the bane of, you know, architecture now <laughs> is that you're supposed to be a genius. None of us are geniuses. We're, we're muddling through, but we're trying, we're trying to care and look and, create and be um and bring joy and beauty and i don't think it has to be grand uh you know at all mm. um and and i also think you can't and this isn't a problem probably if you're designer listeners but among architects and architecture schools now the word style is actually kind of taboo um and i and i think that that's a mistake i think everything we do has a style whether you admit it or not um, and, and so, uh, and I, and I, but once you say style, I encourage people to look deeper than just the, the current design magazines mm -hmm. and really, really dive in and try to understand where that came from. And what I'm reminded almost, you know, every week is that, you know, the, the, the kind of vast trove of imagination that exists when you look at what people were doing in, you know, in Prague in 1906 or in, mm -hmm. in Vienna in 1732, like all these people were so full of uh, amazing ideas and, and, and designs that it's, it actually spurs your imagination. I, I appreciate your saying that, that even the act of trying to uh, reference something, extend something, um, notice something, and then kind of try to bring it into your own space, your own lived experience is, is important. The act right. itself is important. And, and I, we can, and, we can and, get and, so much pleasure from that. Right. And, and very humbling, mind you. Humbling. What, what very I normally, humbling. Yes. Yeah. What I normally <laughs> discover is darn, that's really hard to do. I tried. That's not easy. I love that bookcase and I draw it and it looks like, you know, okay, let's start over. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for this conversation. I, I am very excited about people seeing this book. It, it's a beautiful book, by the way, everyone. It is, it's, it's, it's heavy. It's big, as it should be. It, it, it matches the, the feeling of the house and the land and the art. And, and I'm really excited about sharing it. And uh, I can't wait to go to this place someday. When, yes, of when course, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our conversation for today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to download the free style finder, the free guide at littleyellowcouch.com and get started on your signature style today. Uh, also, thank you so much to all of you who have left reviews and ratings over on uh, Apple Podcasts or in all of the other uh, podcast players. It really, really does make a difference. So if you haven't done it, it would mean the world to me if you would take a few minutes and just give us a review. All right. I will be talking to you soon. Have a great day.
thanks so much for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really do appreciate you spending it with me. And please, please, please take a minute to leave a review for Slow Style Home wherever you get your podcasts. It honestly does help keep this show on the air and your feedback is highly valuable to me. Have a great day and I'll be back in your earbuds soon. Bye for now.